0: Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, mamas. I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and today it's time for our monthly mailbag episode on the Smart Money Mama Show, where we answer questions directly from listeners like you. But this is extra special since it's also our 100th episode of the show. Like, what? I don't, I honestly don't know how we've gotten there. Today we're going to share some of our favorite episodes of these first 100 and answer four great questions on saving for the cost of college, home maintenance expenses, and hobby income. I love getting to talk about such a wide range of things on these episodes. Also, for an overview of this month's questions, links to resources mentioned, including the Facebook group where you can submit your questions for next month's mailbag. And to download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide, head over to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 100, because this is our 100th episode. All right, all right, let's get Lauren, my right hand and the chief glitter officer here at Smart Money Mamas on the show and dive into your question. Lauren, can you believe it's our 100th episode of the podcast?
1: I really cannot believe we've done 100 of these. It feels insane.
0: (laughs) It does feel insane, especially because the show's only been around for about 13 months, a little less than 13 months. And so for a while, for those of you who've been listening to Smart Money Moms from the beginning, we were doing two episodes a week, and that was so much, so much
1: podcasting. Because we are crazy people. (laughs) Because
0: we're crazy people. Lauren, what are your favorite episodes so far, Ben?
1: Okay, so I've got a few. One of my first episodes, and it's like a special one because it was one of our launch episodes, was episode four with Rosemary Groner. Such a good one. There, I, I love Rosemary. Like, I love her whole business story, but there were two things in that episode that make me remember it. And one was when she was talking about how, like, her worst day as a state trooper felt the same way emotionally as her worst day blogging, even though as a state trooper, she was dealing with much heavier stuff. And it's just like a good reminder to remember that like everyone's going through their, their own thing and that it's intense to them, you know?
0: Absolutely. And the
1: second thing was how she was talking at some point in there, how even after she was making very good money with her business, she realized she still had so much mindset work to do and and that she really thought, That some of the things and decisions she had made in her life were like, or the money that she was making were responsible for some of the bad things that were happening in her life, which all of us listening are like, no way, that's not how it happens. But she still had that that work to do. And that was shocking to me because I just never really thought about that.
0: So many people think you can just out earn your money mindset issues. And that Rosemary's episode was a really great deep dive into, you know, she shared a lot about what her money mindset hangups were and continue to be to some extent.
1: Yeah. It's
0: a good one to check out. Any other favorites?
1: Yes. Episode 29, which is one of yours, which is how to determine your family money values it's not like I haven't heard you talk about these things before, but when you we were putting that episode together, it just really hit home more that it's not just about who you support and who you don't support, which is the way that I always thought about your money values, but that it's really like, what do you want your life to be? And when you start framing what you want and putting your money there, you actually get to where you want to go. And <laughs> it seems really simple, but it was a big aha moment for me that day.
0: And that has been one of our most popular episodes. And we definitely get a lot of comments about listening to that with their partner. And I love hearing how people have set up their own family money values, because that also includes, you know, what lessons are you passing on to your kids? And what does generational wealth mean to you? And what are those big money decisions with your kids going to look like? That was a fun one to record and then to see people's responses to.
1: Definitely.
0: One of my favorite episodes was episode 20 with Kirsten Saunders. I love Kirsten. So anyone who's listening who's not familiar, she is from Rich and Regular. And we talked about basically, her explanation was like getting out of her own way to get out of debt and like protecting herself from herself because she was an overspender. And what that was like marrying Julian, who also runs Rich and Regular with her, who is more of a saver and did not have debt when they got married. And so that was just a fun episode because she is an absolute joy of a human being. Like, I just love her to pieces. But she was so open and vulnerable and, and shared so much of her story that I know that a lot of people who listened to that episode were just excited that they could be spenders and get ahead with money and pursue financial independence. It was just such a great episode.
1: I love that that whole concept is important to her. I don't actually remember if it's the episode or when she spoke at the summit, but she talked a lot about like enjoying the journey while Mm. you're reaching those financial goals. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people forget. And she's like, use the good plates, do the stuff. And it's one of those perspectives that can only come from being like a happy spender, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. I know you had some episodes from the team who they had favorites.
1: They do. Kate was also a big fan of How to Determine Your Family Money Values, and she loved um, Nora's episode that just came out. Mm.
0: Yeah, Nora McInerney from Terrible Thanks for Asking is her podcast, and she's an amazing grief author, was recently on the show talking about managing money through grief, which was another one that I think was just a real honest look about what this looks like often we get people unfortunately who reach out to us who say they've lost a partner and they lost a parent and they're trying to make all the right decisions in the midst of grief and Nora was a great insight into the fact that like yeah we want to make the best decisions that we can but like grief is a real physical and mental thing and that you're not going to make all the right choices and that's okay that we just have to kind of get through and then some good advice on you know how to let yourself get through that that part of your life so really good episode
1: That episode, along with Kendra Adachi's, those two were mentioned by the team. And I feel like that's kind of a running theme because Kendra's episode of How to Be a Lazy Genius follows along those same lines of like, what works for everyone doesn't work for you. Like, give yourself a break. Like, we're all doing this together. (laughs) And you'll get there. Take a few minutes to breathe. Something that I actually thought was super interesting was Deanna, our podcast manager's favorite episode was Maxie McCoy's episode. She loved hearing about the process of her realizing that she was always just chasing the next high and never enjoying any of it. And if you guys know Deanna at all, she is very concerned with living intentionally. So when she popped up that that was her favorite episode, I was like, that totally makes sense.
0: That was another great episode. Maxine McCoy is the author of You're Not Lost, and she does some really cool um, women in business and networking work as well. So that's a great episode. But this all ties to a recent episode. And I promise, moms, we're going to go answer your questions in a second. It's just really fun to kind of talk about so many amazing women I've gotten to speak with as we've run the podcast last year. And we have even more amazing, fun women that are coming on over the rest of 2021 and beyond. And so I'm really excited about that. But this ties to just a recent episode, two weeks ago, episode 98 with Patrice Washington, talking about redefining wealth and not wealth being just the money in your bank account, but also all the things you need to survive and thrive about being a healthy human, having good connections and good friendships was a really fantastic episode because she talked about how wealth is defined differently for everybody and what wealth means for you might not be what wealth means for me. And then that's okay. You just have to define it for yourself so you know what you're going after. That was another really good episode.
1: Okay. Before we jump into this month's questions, I want to know what has surprised you about having a podcast that you didn't expect?
0: Oh my goodness, so many things. Um, The time it takes to like produce an episode, there was definitely a feeling that it was gonna be like being on a podcast where I like sit down and record for 45 minutes and then I'm done. That's definitely not having a podcast. (laughs) But I think the biggest thing is just the number of incredible, amazing women that are out there. And like we fill out a year of podcast guests so fast and we continue to find people that just like, I can't wait to hear their stories. And it definitely like feeds my extrovert heart to just like get to talk to new people and find new people and hear their stories. I just love that part of it. And I knew I'd enjoy it, but learning how to be a better interviewer, to talk to people, to ask the right questions has just been
1: a ton of fun. That's amazing. I think you are an excellent interviewer, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) Many of our guests think so, too. So I am glad that you've gotten super comfortable with that.
0: What has surprised you? Because I know that you were really excited for us to get into podcasting.
1: Well, I love all the like digital tech production stuff. In my past life, I worked in film and TV. So I was excited about getting to bring that into something that I was doing every day. But honestly, probably two of the same revelations that you had is one, it takes way more time than we ever thought that it would. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like there have been maybe five people at different times that, you know, have helped us out with pieces here and there. So we really thought this was a lower lift thing. And in order to make it the kind of show we want, it is not. (laughs) Yeah. And then I love getting the chance to just like bring you. Awesome stories about awesome women that I've come across, and you're like, "What do you think about this?" And just the people that you've talked to—they constantly amaze me. Yeah,
0: they're so cool. And major shout out—we're going to jump into the questions now. But major shout out to Steve Stort, who has edited all of our podcasts for the show. It's now on episode 100. And to Deanna, who is our podcast manager. She's the one who gets the show notes up, listeners, um, and makes sure that everything is ready to go on publication day. She is incredible as well. And so, thank you to both of them for getting us to 100 episodes, and we can't wait to do so many more.
1: We have the best team. (laughs) We do. All right, what are our questions, Lauren? Our first question comes from Erica, who asks, how do I come up with a goal for 529 savings, or should I even have a goal? I'm wondering how to make a decision on whether to prioritize college savings over other five goals.
0: This is such a great question and one that we hear a lot, Erica, because what people wonder is they don't want their kids to have the same student loans that they did necessarily and they know that college is really expensive and so it's this worry for a lot of parents. But we also have other priorities. We have retirement savings and maybe time off work that we want to take or different different just life goals, right, and investment goals for, you're saying, financial independence. And so how do we prioritize? I'd say first things first, and I and you know this, Erica, because you're in this community and I know you well, but like retirement first always. Our kids can borrow for college. We cannot borrow for retirement. We want to make sure that we're putting away enough money for retirement. That's step one. Step two is figuring out how much to save is really going back to that episode Lauren and I were talking about, your family money values, is what do you want to cover for your kids? What are your goals? Do you want to cover 100% of college? Are you comfortable paying for private college or will you only pay for the local state college? Really get a sense of what do you want to cover for them? And there's some parents that, you know, maybe they're doctors or they have advanced degrees. And so they expect not only to cover their kids college, but also to cover master's degrees or other programs. And so we have to think about what do you want to cover for your kids before we can get into any sense of goals. Once we have a set of goals, Most colleges, especially state colleges, have really cool calculators on their sites now that let you estimate how much cost is going to be. And so you can either estimate current costs based on like your income and what they would expect for financial aid, and then forecast it forward. Or there are tools out there that let you put in, hey, my kid's going to be starting college in 2029. What is the expected college? College prices have been increasing at 6 to 7% a year for the past 20 years, and so Prices are going to be more expensive in the future than they are now. And so you can use that as a barometer of, okay, here's an estimate of what this you know baseline college is going to be for our kids, and maybe that's how much we save. Personally, Erica, the way we handle it is we were retirement first, 100%, and then emergency fund getting a de- kind of basic cover the bottom of your money hierarchy of needs, right? Make sure you have the security and the physiological needs covered. Then for us, we are covering state college for the boys within our five, their 529 plan. So we live right near Yukon. And so we use Yukon to estimate that cost. We figure out how much we need to be saving on a monthly basis to get to the, our target savings by the time that they go to college. This is very similar to using like a retirement calculator or an investment calculator to just get to a certain point. You include compound interest. It's great. Additional savings for the boys, we're going to keep and taxable accounts in our names. The reason for that is that while those funds are tagged for the boys, we don't want it to impact their financial aid and funds in their name have a much bigger impact on financial aid than funds in the parents' name. And so you wanna start with funds, we like to start with funds in our name. And then when they reach 18 or adulthood or whatever we decide is the right number, we can decide if we're gonna help them pay for private college, if they we want them to take out loans, if they wanna start a business, things like that. Now, some people would consider, you know, saving for 100% of even state colleges over saving in a 529 because you don't know if your kids are going to go to college. You don't know if college is going to become free, right? Like we, there's so many things that are changing. And so what I would recommend thinking about is, A, even if your kids don't go to college, It's nice to have that saving set aside for, you know, we have thoughts with our boys of if they do want to go into a trade, I still want them to take some business classes. I still want them to have a way to run their own business and not have to be the one that's doing manual labor for their entire careers. And so we could use their 529s for that. We could use it for trade school. We could use it for other things. And because we've only saved State school for both boys. If one decides he doesn't want to go and one wants to go to private school, we can transfer 529 funds from one boy to the other. So that's kind of how we think about it. But definitely retirement first and then go back to those family money values because it's going to be a little bit different for everybody.
1: Lauren, how do you guys think about it with Ainsley? You think I've thought about it with Ainsley? you guys I'm behind I'm behind I was actually she's two (laughs) I was actually listening to you see I read the question and I was like yes I feel ahead of the mark she's gonna say put your own oxygen mask on first and then I listened to you continue to answer and was like oh my god I have so much to think about
0: (laughs) (laughs) but once again like we're all at our own stage of this and Ainsley's two right your daughter's Mm -hmm. two and so have lots of time. But this is a great question when you try to think about prioritizing and a great opportunity to talk to your partner too, because this is one when we talk about family money values, people have really different opinions. There are some people who would prefer that their kids take out loans, that they feel like having student loans made them be financially responsible as soon as they graduated, made them think more carefully about what they were doing in college. And so they want that skin in the game for their kids too. And then some people who have the complete opposite, the financial student loans are so much stress that they don't want their kids to have that at all. And so you have to make sure that you and your partner are in agreement on that before you can come up with any kind of goal.
1: It's very true. I would say along the lines of what I'm thinking is that I just want her to have options that don't require her to be more responsible than maybe she can manage at that age because, because I wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> And then just thinking along the lines of my feelings about higher education and her father's feelings about higher education, which are like, if that's what you want to do, go for it. But also we are both huge students of life. So I don't know what our decision will be. I I do actually have the state 529 in her name. I'm just realizing that I opened that letter the other day. I did something in in massive, like, I have a new infant brain. But we're not actually contributing to it yet. But it, she's getting the the state contribution for it. That's and fantastic. And that makes me happy because I probably would not have done that without you.
0: Maine has a great policy for anyone who's listening who's in Maine. Maine does contribute a certain amount a year. I can't remember if it's $50 or $100 a year for residents of Maine into their 529, they have a good 529 plan. So check that out if you're in Maine.
1: You ready for our second question? I'm ready. This one is from Justine who asks, how do I choose which ETFs to invest in? There were a lot of follow-ups on her comment in the Facebook group, including Deborah, who said, I've been doing research on which ETFs are great to invest in. So many options, I feel like same with index funds. And Esther, who said, I'm confused about whether I should have ETFs at all or just stick with index funds.
0: All right. For those of you listening who do not know who ETFs are, let's back it up a second. We've talked about this in the podcast before, but we're going to give a quick refresher. ETFs are called exchange traded funds. So they basically are a basket for investments, just like a mutual fund would be, right? So it's a container in which you pack investments. And then they break off pieces of that that you can buy, and then it trades on the market like a stock, even though it's a collection of a bunch of different things, right? And so when we talk about ETFs, often, you know, we get these questions of like, I'm confused whether I should have ETFs or just stick with index funds. Those can actually be one and the same thing. So an ETF, an exchange traded fund could be an index of the S&P 500 or the total stock market. It's just the ETF is indicated how it trades, not what it contains. Okay. So there is a total stock market ETF and there are total stock market mutual funds. And what is held in those investments is exactly the same. The difference is just how, in how they're traded. And so Esther and Deborah, who are asking, you know, what do I do between the two? You can do one and the same. You can do both. When we talk about Justine's question of how do I choose which ETFs to invest in, this is going to be really specific to what your investment goals are. And so if you've listened to this podcast, Justine, for a while, you know that I am a proponent of simple investing, low fee investing focused around index funds. So while there are literally thousands of different ETFs you can choose from, I want you to look for ones that have the word index in them and ideally ones that have the word total in there as well, because we want to get a big, broad basket of what we're going to own. So that's the total stock market index, the total bond, U.S. bond index. Those are the type of things that we're looking for. They're going to give you a broad base of investments, and they're likely going to be lower fee. So when we're trying to pick, looking for those two words is a good place to start. The other good place to start is to look at the expense ratio for that ETF. So the expense ratio is the cost to manage that underlying investment. And you're going to be charged that fee without you even really noticing it because it's not something that like you're going to get a bill for, you know, it's going to cost you five bucks to keep this thing. It just happens in the underlying trading. And so you want to pay attention to that and you want that fee to be low. What's great about ETFs is that there are total stock market ETFs, total bond market ETFs, where the Fee is 0.04%, 0.03%, we're talking super, super low fees, especially when we generally talk about wanting to keep your fees below 0.5%, right? So when you're way, way below that. And so that's a great option. The difference between a mutual fund and an ETF, and those are the two things that often we end up making that decision of like, okay, if I want a total stock market thing, or I want an S&P 500 thing, how do I choose between a mutual fund and an ETF? For the broad base audience, they're basically the same thing, right? Because what's packed inside that investment is the same thing. The difference is, once again, how they trade. And so the difference that most of us have to think about is that you can buy fractions of a mutual fund. So if you have $1,000 to invest, you can just go buy $1,000 of total stock market mutual fund, and even if the price of that mutual fund is $300 a unit, they're called units, not shares, you will get 3.33 units, and every single one of your dollars will be invested. If you looked at the same ETF and it was $300, you could only buy three shares of that ETF and you'd have $100 left over that's not invested. And what we call that is a cash drag. So it's money that's not actually working for you. It's just sitting in your account until you can save enough to buy another share. And so in general, mutual funds are marginally better for the average person, but ETFs often have no minimum to invest, where mutual funds can have a range of minimums to invest. You look at Vanguard, you're looking at anywhere from a thousand to ten thousand dollars minimum investment in their mutual funds, whereas their ETFs have no minimum. So, Basically, we're splitting hairs here, right? And I want you to look, look for those words, look for index, look for total, look at your expense ratio, which is going to be listed right on the page that gives you information about that ETF. We want to keep that expense ratio low and just try to not get into things that I would consider actively invested. And so those are places where there's a portfolio manager trying to pick the best things. So this is things about growth stocks or, you know, the Barclays, 50 growth, whatever they call it. They all have these complicated names. You'll be able to call them out because they won't have those two words I mentioned in them and that fee is going to get much higher. And so those are the type of things to watch out for. The last thing I'll mention is commodity ETFs. And what I mean by that is you'll see ETFs for gold and silver and milk and all different other kinds of things. Investing in commodities is its own world, generally, I would just, just don't touch that, just back away slowly, let somebody else deal with that. Because that involves a lot of geopolitical conversations, a lot of interest rate conversations, a lot of, you know, what's happening with farm yields and all that kind of stuff. And so generally, when we talk about long term investing, go back to total index, low fees.
1: All I heard out of that was keep it simple.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know I said, keep it simple. And then I talked for several minutes. And so I feel like that might
1: have gotten lost. I'm glad you called it out. <laughs> no, I I didn't even mean in your explanation. I'm sure your explanation is actually very helpful. And I was going, yep, yep, beyond me. Let's let's take Chelsea's simple advice out of that. <laughs> well, and I think that that's, you know, we
0: see this comment from Deborah if she's doing a lot of research on a lot of different ETFs. That's great. But I always think that in general... You could be better using that time to do other things, right? Like self-care or investing in yourself, learning something new, doing something, a new project at work versus researching ETFs where at the end of the day, the passively managed things outperform over the long term over 95% of the time. And so you're better off just keeping it super simple. And we'll link in the show notes to this episode, our explanation of what a three fund portfolio is. And that is literally taking three mutual funds or three ETFs, either way you want to do it. Um, and having that be your whole portfolio, it makes it very, very easy, very easy to manage. And then you don't get caught up trying to research different ETFs. All right, before we answer the rest of our questions, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mamas, it's almost spring cleaning time, so I want to share my favorite place to buy natural cleaning and personal care products and other household essentials. It's called Grove Collaborative. Every month, we receive an order of bamboo toilet paper, cleaning products we need to restock, the kids' toothpaste and shampoo, and more, right to our doorstep, all at competitive prices. But Grove isn't my favorite just for the convenience and their great products. Grove is a values-focused company. They're actually a B Corp, which means they have to meet standards on social and environmental impact that only provides products that have met their standards for non-toxicity, effectiveness, and sustainability. And of course, everything is cruelty-free. Plus, Grove is moving beyond plastic, an initiative that my family greatly values. Today, Grove is already plastic neutral. For every ounce of plastic they sell, they collect and recycle an ounce. The company has removed 3.7 million pounds of plastic from waterways since January 2020. Incredible. But by 2025, they'll actually be 100% plastic-free. If you want to use quality household products that are good for your family and good for the earth, I highly recommend you check out Grove. You can get a free gift with your first order at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Grove today. Oh. One last thing, you can also see which products were created by women-owned businesses and businesses owned by people of color if you want to further align your purchases with your values. Ah, incredible. Head to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash grove to check it out.
1: Our next question comes from Nicole and she says, for hobby incomes, at what point does it make sense to create an LLC or issue yourself a 1099 so you can write off expenses?
0: Nicole, you're going to be so excited. You can write off expenses right now. (laughs) You don't have to do anything. Every single one of us as a human being, individual US citizen is already a sole proprietor, which means you can do business under your social security number And all you have to do is keep track of your income and expenses. You should be doing that anyway. That can be done in a simple spreadsheet. It can be done in Quicken, uh, which is what I use. There's a million different ways you can do it. But keep it simple at the beginning, especially if this is like new hobby income. And when you file taxes, you're going to have to file what's called a Schedule C. And a Schedule C is going to break down what your Income was what your different expenses were, it has little boxes for it. It's not a very complicated form, it's one page, and it'll break down to your profit. Your profit is what you're gonna get taxed on for income tax. So all those expenses that you're subtracting from your revenue, from your income, those are your deductions. You're writing off those expenses and you're only getting taxed on your profit. So that's great. You never need to issue yourself a 1099. Um, you are already a self-employed individual just by being a human being. So if you're making over $600 on your hobby income this year, you want to make sure you fill out that Schedule C and you want to make sure you're tracking those expenses. When it comes to at what point do you create an LLC? this is going to be different for everybody, right? And so if you talk to a lawyer, they would say the moment you start doing business. But in general, the point of an LLC is to limit, it stands for limited liability corporation. And the point is to separate the liability of your business from your personal assets. So if something happened and you got sued, your business got sued, that the people suing you would not be able to come after your retirement funds and your house and your personal assets. And so if you're doing something that's highly risky, we're talking about giving health advice, we're talking about training people, we're talking about legal advice, all that kind of stuff, financial advice, you want to make sure you have an LLC to protect you from that. If you're selling, you know, hand stitch things on Etsy, you're probably not at a super high risk. Once again, lawyers are going to tell you to get your LLC no matter what. In general, I operated for about a year before I got my LLC. When we had a more consistent set of income, we knew this was going to be a business. And then I formed the LLC because you're going to have different filing and maintenance costs depending on your state. I happen to live in the Northeast, which makes it very expensive to run a business. And so those costs are high. But in some states, if you look it up, it might be like $25 or $50 to form an LLC. It's a simple process and you can do that. But you can write off expenses just as you are, just as a sole proprietor.
1: That was actually one of my favorite parts of doing my taxes this year. (laughs) I was like, this is amazing. I actually invested in myself and my business and it is paying off right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so that's where you do want to pay attention to the fact that writing off doesn't mean that you get to, you're still spending that money. It's still going somewhere. So just overspending so that you don't have to pay taxes doesn't super make sense. But keeping track of it so that you can get that deduction, make sure you're not paying income tax on money that wasn't really profit, money that had to go right back out the door for you to be able to earn what you needed to earn. Definitely keep track of that from the very, very beginning.
1: Super sound advice because you don't want to be trying to figure that out later. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our last question comes from Beth, who says, I know we're generally encouraged to put 20% down on a new home. Is there a suggested amount to save for ongoing home maintenance and or emergencies?
0: It's a really good question, Beth. So first of all, on your 20% down for a new home, that is absolutely the idea. We want to see you do that if you can. I know that that's very difficult for a lot of families. And so first off, if you're listening to this and, and you're not going to put down 20%, um, maybe you're using a uh, service member loan, which doesn't require you to put anything down, or you're using a first-time lender loan where you're only putting 5 or 10% down. That's Okay. Provided that you're planning on being in that house for at least 10 years. Because when you put down less than 20%, if the market goes down, if the housing market goes down, you're much more likely to end up underwater on your mortgage. What that means is that you owe more on your house than your house is currently worth. And so that's a stressful situation. Now, if you are buying a house and intended to be there for 10 to 15 years, it doesn't really matter that your mortgage is more than your house is worth because you don't have to make that transaction, right? It's just like investing where you don't take a loss unless you actually sell. So if you're just living there, continuing to pay your mortgage, no big deal. It's less likely that you end up underwater when you put down 20%. It's also why you don't have to pay PMI and why your rates are generally gonna be lower because it's a less risky loan for the bank. Now on your question, which I love, which is, is there a suggested amount for ongoing home maintenance and emergencies? Homeownership isn't cheap. For something that doesn't move, your house breaks a lot. Like it just is really fascinating how often your house breaks. And so in general, what they say is on average, your annual maintenance expense is 1% of the value of your house. So if your house is $280,000, you can expect to pay $2,800 a year in maintenance expense. What they do not tell you, Beth, is that that is the average (laughs) over 30 years. And so when you need a new roof or you like have a kitchen flood, right, all that money gets compressed into one year and maybe it does average out over 10 years. But in that one year, you're like, damn, I got $15,000 dollars i got to put down on my house right now. And so we talk about as much to save. I would say 1% a year is a good place to start. But make sure, you know, early on, I try to have a little bit more than that when you first buy your house. I know that's really hard when you're already doing a down payment, but I am an individual who's our house our first house decided to like completely fall apart. in the first year we owned the house, we had an ice dam three days after we moved in. Then we had a bunch of birds break through a vent and get into our walls. Jeremiah and I, for those of you who don't know, guys, I'm terrified of birds. Like it's my worst. I just, I can't deal with birds. And I was home, I think it was Labor Day weekend. And I heard something. And I was, I got all anxious and I'm like, is somebody in the house? I'm walking around. I keep hearing this sound. So I call my husband and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, it's just random. Like every couple minutes, it's a sound. Well, it turned out that birds came into the vent on the second floor, fell down the floor into the first floor bathroom, and then had kept trying to like flap their way back up. So we had to cut a big hole in the wall, get the birds out. There's actually a very funny video of me like running and slamming the door by the time they came out of the wall and flew out the window. And then like patch the hole back up and repaint the wall. That happened. We found out that our uh, covered porch wasn't up to code. Basically, we ended up having to spend like $30,000 in the first year fixing the house. And so you don't know what's going to happen. And I'm not saying you have to save $30,000. I'm saying give yourself a little bit of cushion and then make sure that your home maintenance savings is a sinking fund. So if you go through 2021 and you've only spent $500 on home maintenance, do not go spend that other $2,300, save it, keep letting it build up because when you do have something that needs to be fixed, it is likely to cost more than that 1%, right? It's gonna add up. And so that's how I would generally think about it, but make sure you always have that emergency fund savings. And at the beginning, If you have emergency fund for three to six months of your expenses, which is generally what's recommended, that can also be leaned on as your housing expense. Um, But I would like over time, especially when you first buy your house, that can absolutely be looked at as your emergency fund for your house expenses as well. But over time, I'd like to see you also build up a sinking fund just for home maintenance. What do you think, Lauren?
1: I'm like having like some heart palpitations over here. (laughs) I just just wrote down on my sticky note. Add home maintenance sinking fund to
0: <laughs> It's It's so funny how we forget it because we compare like, oh, our mortgage is going to be so much cheaper than our rent. And then it's like, oh, wait, home insurance. Oh, wait, property taxes. Oh, wait, now I have to fix everything. <laughs> and it adds up fast.
1: Also, you're telling this story, and I know that you are not a fan of birds. So I was just dying. Like, I cannot actually imagine that happening to you. And I really need to see this video. (laughs) The best part of it, though, they got stuck in the
0: wall. You guys are going to have to be privy to this story. They got stuck in the wall between the two supports, the two studs, right behind the toilet in our downstairs bathroom. And so while we could cut a hole, we couldn't get down to the floor. And so Jeremiah had to like lean over the toilet and like reach all the way down in the wall and pull the bird out. At first we thought it was just one bird, but me hiding out in the hallway, because I'm afraid of birds, like gave him my phone and was like, can you like point into the hole and like take a picture of the bird before you get it out? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we stuck it in and I hear him from the bathroom go, oh my God, there's two of them. And so the other one was kind of passed out. They ended up both flying away. The other one was kind of passed out. And he was like, I would have just sealed this hole back up. And this bird would have still been in there if we hadn't like randomly taken a picture into the corner. Um, Yeah, it was horrifying. Uh, Make sure your vents are well covered. If you have plastic vents on the side of your house, know that plastic degrades in sunlight over time. And so they have to be replaced every few years or birds will try to nest in them. That's that's my homeownership experience for you. (laughs) All sorts of detailed advice today. (laughs) Um, Thank you for joining us, everybody, for episode 100. (laughs) Lauren, this was fantastic, as always. Hopefully this is helpful to people. Mamas, as I mentioned at the top of the show, feel free to send me your questions anytime via our voicemail at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash voicemail on social media. We are at Smart Money Mamas on all social platforms, including TikTok now. So you got that going for us. And in our Mamas Talk Money free Facebook group, you can see an overview of today's questions with links to resources mentioned, as well as download your free meaningful money goal kickstart guide in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 100. My friend, thank you again for listening to the Smart Money. Mama show. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell your friends. I truly appreciate it. Keep talking money mama. I'll see you next time.